Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Claire Marquick, and this is Real Life Business. Hello and welcome to episode number 39 of the Real Life Business Podcast and the last episode of season two of the show. It is an absolute perler of an episode, this one, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. I am thrilled to be joined by Derek McManus, who, after a former life as a police sniper, has coined the phrase human durability to define a state beyond resilience so people can achieve more with less stress. Now, Derek, welcome. I know I know your amazing story behind the coining of this phrase, and I know we're going to talk more about that in this conversation. So why don't we start off with you just sharing a bit about yourself and what it is that you do now? Uh, Claire, thanks for uh, having me here. I've listened to some of your podcasts, uh, absolutely sensational. Um, and I've been part of your uh, business call, so love the work you're doing. Thank um, you. As you alluded to, my background is policing. Uh, I spent 42 years as a police officer, uh, so just getting used to it by the end of it. Um, I also spent 11 years in the South Australia Police Star Group. Now, Star is for Special Task and Rescue. Um, we are the police equivalent of uh, the SAS or the Navy SEALs. Now, I know that some people will be going, that's a big statement to make uh, because they are the elite of the elite, but we are the police equivalent. So I was trained as a sniper, underwater recovery diver and tactical diver, um, and I was also trained by the SAS in counter-terrorism. Wow. And if there was a terrorist incident in South Australia, we would have been the first people to respond to it. So we are the police equivalent of that. Our uh, working brief actually went a little bit broader. We did VIP security. So I was actually VIP security to the Queen when the Queen came out here. Uh, Prince Andrew, when he visited as well, Prime Ministers and other visiting dignitaries. Uh, We also did cliff rescue, cave rescue, mine rescue. So we had a very broad brief and very intense work, but I loved it. Absolutely loved the whole lot of it. I can imagine it would have been one of those real, like, no two days are the same, no idea what to expect from one day to another. Yeah. (laughs) And and you're right. It it absolutely is that. But by the same token, once you're in that environment, you can get one highest risk of rescue, you can get another high risk of rescue, you get a siege, and you just go, oh, it's another siege. Okay, (laughs) you have to go out and do the other siege. So it is sort of that repetitive. And this is when we get to be masters of whatever we do. People go, oh, my God, you're working at that level. And you go, oh, yeah, that's sort of just what I do. Um, So I I completely acknowledge that people looking from the outside see it as this absolutely massive thing. And and it was. I absolutely loved it. It was challenging. It was stressful. um, But it was also part of that routine. Yes, there's another job. In fact, uh, what makes people laugh is that uh, we're trained for counterterrorism, and there was a um, a plane that was hijacked in Indonesia, and uh, on the news they reported that this plane, the hijackers want to fly it out of Indonesia and land in either Perth or Adelaide. Now that was going to mean that the the response teams were going to be there, and we were sitting in the meal room watching the news report going Adelaide. Adelaide, bring it on. We've trained for this. We want to do it. And people are going, you're crazy. You get, yeah, anyway, 
I'm sure you get the picture. No, I totally get the picture. I totally get the picture. And knowing a few, like knowing a few firemen as well, um, the same sort of thing. You know, it's like we're trained to do this. This is what we do. Like when there's no fires and we're sitting at the station like night after night after night with no call out, like it gets boring. Like it sounds terrible. It's not like you're wanting or willing things to happen, but it's like, but this is what we're trained for. This is what we do. This is what we want to be doing. So I get it. Yeah, yeah. And people go, my God, you're a fireman. You get paid to sleep. Yeah, no, but that's the boring part of the job. We want to do what we're trained for. Uh, And this is where it comes back to your podcast and your your impetus for your business and your your theories um, is that we've got to do what we're passionate about. And when we're passionate about it, it's not hard work. Mm. Yes, it is hard, but it's not hard work. It's just yes. part of life. It's what we do. It's what we enjoy. We get our teeth into it. And then we become the experts because we're enjoying it rather than forcing ourselves to work through what we have to do to become good at what other people say we should be doing. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I've t- I can totally resonate with that. I've gone through that sort of cycle myself of like forcing myself to stay doing something because this is what I ought to be doing. This is what, you know, this is what I studied for. This is what my intention was. And, um, you know, that realization that we, we, we can change and we can find something we're passionate about and we can do that instead. And yeah, like that, that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> and, and it also goes to that's what society expects of me. No, no, no. Don't worry about what society wants. We don't want to upset people, but we want to do what we are passionate about, not live up to expectations of others in society and, and all that. Yes, it's another deep conversation. <laughs> um, so so uh, in my working history, obviously, um, you know, doing what I do, it comes with some inherent dangers. Um, and on the 3rd of May, 1994, my section were asked to go and arrest a guy who had a warrant for 197 counts of fraud. Now, that's not something you normally associate with violence, but we'd already done two jobs with this guy before because he had threatened violence in the past. Never done anything, but he'd threatened it. So that made it a job worth Star Group going and arresting him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went there. We, uh, there were four other members of Star Group, one guy with a video camera, so the story I'm about to tell you, the, the, the beginning of it has been captured on video and you can right. see it on either my website or, or on YouTube. Um, we went to arrest this guy. He clearly didn't want to be arrested and he started shooting. He was using a uh, Chinese military rifle. For anybody who knows anything about weapons, it was a 7.62 or 308 semi-automatic rifle. Wow. Uh, he fired 18 times in less than uh, five seconds and hit me 14 times with either bullets or shrapnel. And I can see you shaking your head. And I, I can imagine, I mean, I speak to audiences around the world and, and every time I'm in an audience, you can just see people's eyes growing and growing yeah. of what you serious. Um, so, yeah, he, he fired, he hit me. Um, I was then like, and, and a very quick overview, and I'll go back into some of the details as we go through. Uh, I was then lying on the ground for three hours with some massive injuries. Um, And essentially there were four things that I needed to monitor and control while I was on the ground. The first one, and this this relates not just to this emergency situation or intense situation. This is basically what everybody needs to do when we start getting overwhelmed with the things that are going wrong around us. So the four things for me, one was to control panic, not Mm -hmm. let panic take control of the situation. The easiest way to control panic is have some idea of what you're going to deal with, some idea of how you're going to deal with it. That instantly brings the level of stress down. I think I know what I need to do here. 
rather than going, oh, my gosh, I didn't imagine this. What do I do? Yep. You've already got some idea. It doesn't have to be perfect. So control panic. The next one was control shock. And shock is the effect on the body from physical trauma, but also a psychological, emotional trauma as well. The effect on the body is exactly the same. We go into panic mode. We go into fight and flight. Um, body reroutes blood from the brain to the major organs so that we can be strong as we can. But we don't do a lot of good thinking in that time. It is just absolute baseline response type thinking. Uh, the frontal lobe of our brain gets drained of the majority of blood. And the frontal lobe is where we do our creativity, our problem solving, um, our imagination, uh, and we do the higher level planning type stuff. And when that's drained and we're in fight and flight mode, we're not creative. We are just in absolute respond at the absolute basic that level. Moment. So the more so the more we can control um, our shock response, the sooner we can get that flood, uh, blood flowing back to the brain um, and we can start doing that higher level thinking again. Yeah. The third one was to control my heart rate, slow down my heart rate, and the fourth one was to slow down my breathing because I knew if I could control those four things, it would slow down my rate of bleeding, which would keep me alive for just a little while longer. But I was dealing with massive injuries. Uh, my left forearm had taken a hit, had broken the bone in two places, and had severed the radial artery. And that radial artery was severed for three hours. Now, people go, well, that's not possible. Doctors don't know how I survive. The both ends of the artery uh, just closed off. They call it went into fibrillation. They just closed off and didn't bleed like a, a broken artery should. Um, it stretched nerves, damaged tendons and all that sort of stuff. I had a piece of shrapnel in the ulnar artery in the right wrist, but that piece of shrapnel stayed there and blocked that artery from bleeding. I had two bullets in my stomach. I lost 45 centimetres of uh, bowel all up but it didn't hit a kidney, it didn't hit a liver, it didn't hit a spleen, so very, very fortunate there. Um, one bullet hit a ceramic plate on my chest. Now, when I talk and, and describe things at more length, I tell people that when we approached the house, we were wearing flat vests, what we call flat vests. Um, people know them as bulletproof vests, yeah. but I can tell you very clearly they ain't bulletproof. Um, <laughs> But, but I had a ceramic plate. Sorry, they, they stop a certain type of bullet, but not a high-powered rifle. Yeah. Okay. So they do stop a certain type of bullet. But that's why we call them flat vests. I had a ceramic plate on, and that ceramic plate was rated to be able to stop this type of bullet. Uh, that bullet hit the ceramic plate just underneath the heart and lung area. Um, so if that hadn't been the plate hadn't been there, it could have been very, very different. Mm. Two bullets hit my left thigh missed the femoral artery by the width of a piece of paper, according to the doctor, uh, but I lost about a third of the muscle in my left thigh. Uh, three bullets or bits of shrapnel just uh, cut across the back of my left car, uh, just enough to need a few stitches. One bullet went through my right Achilles tendon Ooh. and took out 80%. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. That's what most people's faces do. <laughs> and when I'm in schools, I get the kids to reach down and just feel their Achilles tendon and they go, oh, um, it took out 80% of the Achilles tendon for about an inch, inch and a half. Um, but, you know, that was a, an injury that I didn't actually feel. Uh, it was de definitely damaged and it definitely affected me, but I didn't feel it at the time. And we'll go into, uh, we might go into talking more about that. Uh, there were three bullets that hit me that didn't actually penetrate as well. One of them hit um, the uh, ceramic plate. One of them hit a flat, uh, sorry, a, um, a groin flat. Uh, 
um, that was there to protect the femoral arteries and all the other important stuff around there. Um, and another one hit a piece of equipment on my left side, stopped a third penetration in there. So it was 14 hits all up. And then I was lying on the ground, managing those hits, managing my body, but more most importantly, managing my mindset um, and my ability to think through solutions and managing that whole situation. Um, I mean, that, that's the, I think that's now the third time I've heard that story. Um, and I mean, that, that was probably the most in-depth version that I've heard. And I'm still stunned. I'm still blown away. And I remember the first time that we spoke, I, I came off the call and I was talking to my husband and he's like, no way. He's like, how can he still be alive? Like, surely not. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Like, I don't know, like I know we're not, again, we're not here to talk sort of spirituality or anything like that, but is there a part of you that believes th that, you know, it just simply wasn't your time then, that there was more that you had to do, like you you had to use that experience to sort of do more? I mean, obviously probably those thoughts weren't going through your mind at the time, but reflecting back now, can you sort of, do you sort of see that or... Do you look you at would, it You would actually be really surprised with what went through my mind for the three hours I was lying on the ground. So I was fully conscious for two and three quarter hours and the last 15 minutes passing in and out of consciousness. And there was some very pragmatic, practical, logical thinking that needed to be done and um, actions that needed to be implemented. But then there was this other bizarre stuff that came out of, and I look back and I go, why was I even thinking that? But it's part <laughs> of my personality. Uh, my... I was just having a conversation with someone uh, on another podcast yesterday. Um, my life is all about fun. Yeah. Very serious fun at different times. Yeah. But we've got to be able to enjoy ourselves. And if we're enjoying ourselves, I believe we will take on the tasks with more passion and become better at them. Um, but the bo bottom line for it all is that we've got to have some open, honest and confronting conversations with ourselves about the reality of the situation. We can't just go, oh, this is going to sound like fun because in Star Group we had all the boys' toys you could ever imagine. And I know boys' toys is not the political term we should be using these days, but yep. it describes what people understand. We had all that stuff. And if I was just there for that stuff, it would have been sensational. I would have loved it. But then when tragedy hit, I wouldn't have been prepared to handle it. Mm -hmm. So it's about having that open, honest, confronting conversation about both the beauty and the challenge of what we're taking on and saying, I, am I really prepared to be able to take this on physically, mentally, that's the intellectual side, and emotionally. And mm -hmm. I had to prepare myself in those three areas. And, and that's where this philosophy for human durability comes out of. Um, it's the preparation for all three of those areas so that we can properly manage the challenges and give ourselves the best chance of outcome by design. design. And I say that deliberately, it's the best chance. We mm. cannot guarantee success, but we can give ourselves better chances of success by how much we prepare. Um, the other thing, and, and still talking broadly, yeah. uh, the other thing that amazes people as well is that it took me two and a half years of physical rehabilitation. I went back to Star Group. I went back to being a sniper, a diver, uh, and working in the counter-terrorist area without any restrictions. So two and a half years physically, but three months after the shooting, I insisted to go and see a psychiatrist, mm -hmm. right, and talk about what could possibly be happening in my mind uh, as a result of going back into that atmosphere or just going through life generally. 
Mm. Because I, I realistically accepted PTSD, stress, anxiety, worry, walking, hearing sounds, um, memories, nightmares, all those sorts of things were all possible. Mm. And I just wanted to talk to the psychiatrist and find out what's possible. And if it does happen, who's handled it well, who's handled it badly, what can I learn, what could I possibly implement? Now, you've got to remember this is 27 years ago mm-hmm. that this happened. 27 years ago, men didn't talk about their emotions. No. Men didn't go and have therapy uh, and definitely not men who are the toughest of the tough in Star Group uh, doing counterterrorism. You don't have emotions. You do not allow your life to have emotions. You have to deal absolutely logically, pragmatically. So for me to go, hey, guys, I'd like to get some therapy, um, I can only imagine what was going through other people's minds. But for me, it was the best thing I ever did. Um, Reflecting it, back, sorry, just to inter- yeah, interject there, like because this is something that, again, like my, my hubby and I, we talk about a lot. You know, he's he's very much like we watch a lot of um, you know war movies. He reads a lot of um, books. He reads you know he reads a lot of books that have been written by ex SAS um, soldiers and things like that. And we talk a lot. I mean, I know when we're watching movies like Saving Private Ryan and things like that. You know, we're yeah, watching yeah. A, a, a sort of a dramatized entertainment story, but still you know in me it kind of it 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 invokes this like there has to be some level of compartmentalization like how can you how can you go through something like that and then try and fit into normal life I'm doing my kind of air quotes that I do a lot but not that anyone can see like how does that can you as someone who has been through something that I, I can guarantee no one else listening to this podcast has gone through (laughs) is that true like do do you have to compartmentalize to a degree or is is this sort of the human durability concept that you you, you're going to share more about is that sort of what helps you through it you know so you can process see this is where i think you and i resonate really well because you talk about it's not a work and it's not a life it is one yeah. And we can't compartmentalise it. Sure, we need to be able to be able to focus on different things, mm. but I was absolutely passionate about the job that I did. And I can't do that job without being absolutely focused, absolutely passionate, absolutely driven. But I didn't let it overwhelm my number one passion, which was my family. Right. Right. And my family was always the most important. And I tried to make sure that they were as integrated as I could possibly make them. Um, my my life in Star Group, um, I didn't come home and brag about it and talk about it and, and all that sort of stuff and immerse everybody in everything, but I certainly talked about it. Yeah. Right. And I certainly talked about, oh, wow, I experienced this today. Um, and oh, let me put it into some practical terms. I two, two years after the shooting, I separated from my wife. We're now divorced. Uh, I became a single father and there were times where I was, you know, back at work and then having the kids on the weekend or having the kids that evening. Um, and I actually had to sit down with my kids and actually have a conversation with them. Hey, listen, I've had a really hard day at work. I haven't had a lot of sleep. Um, I'm feeling really stressed about X, Y, Z. Now, these kids were uh, around about six and eight years old when I started having these conversations. So I'm really stressed. I'm really worried. Um, I don't want you to be too concerned about it, but what I want you to know is that at some stage today, I may just bite your head off. I may get angry for what you don't understand, what doesn't make sense. I want you to know it's probably not what you're doing. It's probably something that's happening to me, and I just need a little bit of understanding from you. 
Mm. And and I don't know if you can hear it. I'm actually choking I up can as hear I say it. this, just remembering those times with my kids. Um, but what it did was it it contextualised it for the kids, made them feel better about, okay, I understand what dad's going through. But once I actually named it and said there's a possibility, mm. it actually de-stressed the whole situation yes. and gave me permission to be a little bit less tolerant than I was in the past because I knew my kids would probably understand yes. rather than trying to put on the facade of I'm tough, I can do this, I can go without sleep, I can go deal with stress, whatever it is, and still be the perfect parent. No, we can't mm. be. The two have got to be inter- uh, interconnected. Um, and so there is a level of compartmentalization that you, you need to focus on one thing or another at a time but understand that everything is going to impact on things. Mm. And, and when I talk about human durability, it's a, it's not about looking at peak performance. It's looking at optimal performance in either arena. Um, but we've also got to understand that if we are looking to be optimal at work, but our parents are going through some life challenge coming to the end of life, our kids are in hospital, our dog has to go to the vet, we're having trouble with finance at home, that's actually going to impact on your work as well. You 100%. You can't mentalize it and separate it completely. Yeah. So I love I, your, uh, before I go on, thank you so much for, for sharing that. I could, I could see that it was choking you up as you were talking. So I really do yeah, appreciate you. your um, openness and honesty. Thank you. Um, what I loved specifically about what you said there was how you changed the word that I used compartmentalized to focused um, because compartmentalized can have, certainly for me uh, is not not saying this for everybody but can have the the sort of the meaning we can put to it is that this is this box this is this box this is this box and i can shut that box away and i don't have to deal with it and then i folk and then i'm then I'm, then I'm in this compartment and I'm yeah. dad now um, or, you know, then I'm, I'm back to, to star group. I, I like the way you said, you know, you've got to focus on where you're at in the moment, um, but that everything integrates. And that was the whole reason for me starting this podcast in the first place, because you know, for, for me personally, I was growing my business. My husband was growing his business and we were going through some really challenging times with our eldest at school, you know, he, with his mental health, with his behavior, with how he was fitting in um, to the school environment. And it was, you know, as a mom, it was eating me up inside. Yeah. It was absolutely consuming me because, you know, I want my children to be happy. I want my children to be healthy. And, And, you know, when he was having a good day at school, it meant I had a better day in my business because I could focus better. But when, when, if I got a call from the school or if, you know, he, he, couldn't even go to school that morning because he was just in too much of a of, of an anxious state then it impacted my business and and so that was the whole reason that I wanted to to start this podcast and start having these conversations because you know as I say probably no one listening has had the degree of um, experience that you have but we all have stuff don't we and and this concept that has come from this experience for you and this is exactly why I wanted to have you on this show is so valuable and it's something that we can all take something from however big or small the thing that we're dealing with in our lives is we can all take something from it can't we absolutely so let me put it into context for people how I can take this experience it's extreme experience and there's no two ways about it absolutely extreme but bring it back into everyday life Mm. so how i describe it 
is that I prepared myself for what I could realistically expect to encounter in my life. In fact, I love having a conversation with people about who's responsible for me getting shot. And without going into you know, great lengths of conversation, a lot of people say, well, the guy who shot you, and then I go, excellent, let's blame him. Who else can we blame? Oh, your boss, the people who manufactured rifles, bullets. Let's blame anybody else. Um, but it, it eventually comes back to I'm responsible for putting myself in that situation, right? Mm-hmm. And I made a choice to become a copper. I made a choice to become a star group officer. I made a choice to you know, go to that job, all those sorts of things. And I need to take responsibility for it and have those open, honest, confronting conversations about my choices, the possible consequences, how I might handle them, and what the future might be like afterwards if the worst thing happens, Mm. right? And and so I prepared myself for what I could realistically expect to encounter. Now, I don't expect anybody else to be preparing themselves for, oh, maybe getting shot in your job. You don't expect those things. But I made choices and I put myself in that environment so we need to be able to prepare ourselves. Yeah. And I but do if, believe you know, that- Sorry, again, just interjecting, but, you know, whilst, as you say, pe- most people listening don't have to prepare themselves for getting shot, um, but we might have to prepare ourselves for our major supplier pulling out, or we might have to prepare ourselves for, um, you know, a customer who owes us tens of thousands of dollars not to pay us, or we yeah. might have to prepare ourselves for, um, you know, um, customers or members like walking out the door because things have, you know, like there are still things that we can we can prepare ourselves for, aren't there? Absolutely. And again, and I know you're probably going to talk about it in a second, there's a distinction between dwelling on the negative and the doom and gloom and focusing on all the bad things that could happen, you know, going at it from that mindset as opposed to, okay, well, let's just work things through here. Um, and uh, I can see you're itching to talk, so I'll hand the, re- hand the reins back over. <laughs> I, I could talk about every third word that you just mentioned. So, I, I, you know, I've got all this stuff boiling up inside of me, but just, just as, as a pause, I have got so many ideas for more conversations we can have. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I was just about to say your perspective is, is absolutely invaluable as well, because that gives me more insights into me and my thoughts and uh, not just confirming my thoughts, but going, Oh, that puts a different slant on it. Um, so part of the, the thing we need to acknowledge is where we sit in the process. So, I have a continuum of human durability where we start out as fragile and fragile is you're new, you're learning, you're a beginner, you're making mistakes and that's all got to be understandable. Um, You've got to be able to gain some experience um, and be allowed to experiment. We don't want to stay fragile but understand that when we start something, that's where we are. If we're keen and eager, we will want to move to the point where we're resilient and resilient is generally accepted as a place where we're able to bounce back. Something goes wrong, I know how to problem solve that, I can bounce back. The easiest way to move from being fragile to resilient is to get some coaching, some guidance, some mentoring, and be allowed to experiment, be allowed to gain experience without being smashed for making a mistake. Mm. Um, But I don't believe that resilient is where we want to stay. I believe that we want to move to that next stage from fragile to resilient to durable. And Mm. durability is about being 100% reliable, knowing that everything you do is going to go exactly the way you want it to go. Um, 100% predictable, it's really comfortable. These are the days where you go to work and you go, oh, this 
it's a great job. I love doing this. Uh, I can imagine what you were like when you did your first few podcasts. It's like, oh, I'm new. I hope this is going to go well. Uh, and now you've got to the point where you've got some checks and balances beforehand to make sure that it's going to go exactly the way you want it. Uh, yeah. We've already gone through those checks and balances today. So you're at that point of being 100% reliable. And this actually becomes a comfort zone. And I tell people that we have got to embrace uh, that comfort zone and just immerse ourselves in that comfort zone because this is when we are the master of what we're doing. Now, we may be the master of what we're doing at D grade and we want to get to A grade, but immerse yourself in that comfort zone of D grade because it's from the comfort zone that we actually grow. Now, this is really interesting. This is what I love about um, your your approach because we hear so much. You can read books, you can listen to podcasts, you can read um, social media posts, you know, nothing happens in our comfort zone. You know, you've got to push yourselves out of your comfort zone to grow and to develop and, and this and that. So how, how do you respond to that? How do you, uh, because what you've just said there is almost completely contradictory at face value to yeah, those yeah. kinds of messages. But how, yeah, yeah. how do you sort of join so the I, I completely agree with people that, that we don't grow in our comfort zone, um, but it's from our comfort zone that we are comfortable to grow. Gotcha. So we've got to know where that comfort zone is. And we've got to embrace it because in our comfort zone, there's no stress. There's no tension. There's no anxieties. We are great. And when we do take that leap of faith and we take on a challenge and we crash and burn, if we try and stay at that level, we're going to get to burnout, stress, anxiety, PTSD. We've got to be able to go, okay, this is not working. Let me go back to my comfort zone where I know that I'm 100% reliable, 100% predictable. Everything's going to go right. There is no stress here. It's not about letting yourself off. You are still performing at an optimal level, but you've come back there to regroup, refresh, re, uh, reset yourself. So you can take on that next challenge again, but maybe take it on in a different way. But we've got to be able to be comfortable with coming back to it um, because that takes the stress out of life. Okay, I've taken on a challenge. hasn't quite gone right. Let me go back to where I know I am good and let's go from there. Now, I call this this continuum of uh, fragile to resilient to durable as being a baseline of performance. Mm -hmm. When you get to durability, that's baseline. When we take a leap of faith and we crash and burn uh, or things aren't quite going right, there's a, uh, a cliche statement of when things are going wrong, let's go back to basics. Mm -hmm. But we've got a baseline. If we crash and burn from up here and we go right back down to basics, that's going right back to fragile. That's going back to the day you started the business, the day you started your relationship, um, you know, right back to when you first started learning. Now, you've got a level of performance which is much higher than basics, and we've got to be able to acknowledge where that is. Just go back to that, reset, regroup, and then start looking to grow again. It's not about letting ourselves off or being weak because we're in our comfort zone. This is taking the stress out of life. Mm. And taking the stress out of life and relaxing for just a little while allows you to then start growing. Um, and at a side tangent, um, I actually believe there's two styles of resilience that we need to know about. Um, the first one is, my God, I've been overstressed, overworked. This has been going too long. COVID is having an impact on me. I need to take some time out. I need to go and have a holiday, get away with the family, go and get a massage, uh, just de-stress in some way. So that's one style of resilience yep. uh, where we actually refresh ourselves and we come back. 
The other style of resilience is where we know we're taking on a challenge and it's going to be a challenge. How do I keep pushing myself through that challenge and be resilient within the growth? Not coming back and resetting, but be resilient within the growth and allow myself to keep on growing. Um, and it's a very different, it's a slightly different style of resilience. Mm, mm. And again, like my brain's just gone off and, oh my gosh, I want to ask a million questions on that, but <laughs> we are going to have to save that for another day because I'm very conscious of your time. It's it's fantastic. Uh, what I want to, what I want to sort of um, unpack a little bit is for someone listening to this, you know, someone say who um, owns a retail shop or a cafe or a hairdressing salon or a gym or, you know, sort of um, those sorts of things. How can they apply this um, durability, this creating that baseline concept? How can someone listening in start to think about how they might breed this into their business, bring this into their business? Okay, so it is about acknowledging where our strengths lie. Um, and a lot of people say, you know, wow, you responded so well in that extreme situation. I don't think I could do the same. Um, but I like to remind people that when they first started learning how to drive, that was an overwhelming experience. Oh, my God, how am I going to do this? But when they drive these days, what are they doing? Are they still as stressed as the first time they got in? And this is going back to basics if you went all the way back there. But what do they do now? While they're driving these days, they're thinking about the business, they're thinking about the relationships, thinking about the possibilities for the future, checking out the people that they're driving past, thinking about food. But if something happens in front of them, they're right there to respond to it in the way they need to. They have prepared themselves for what they can realistically expect to encounter in their day-to-day -day life while driving the car. When we're talking about real estate, uh, news agents, real estate agents, uh, accountants, all those sorts of things, it comes down to having that open, honest, confronting conversation with ourselves. Uh, Nelson Mandela, one of my favourite quotes from Nelson Mandela, um, is that we can't, oh, we can't prepare for the future of secretly pretending it's not going to happen. Mm. So... If we're living in denial, if we're living with the thought of, oh, my gosh, that could happen, but I don't want to think about it, it's too scary, I'm just going to focus on the good stuff, other people have done this and that's worked out well for them, so it should work out well for me. If it does go bad, it goes sour, and we haven't prepared for it, that's when it's going to destroy us. Mm -hmm. If we just have some idea, that could go wrong. If that does go wrong, how am I going to manage it? Some idea of what you're going to deal with, some idea of how you're going to deal with it. We have more chance of being able to do the things we want to. Stress levels come down. I've anticipated that. I have prepared myself for it. Um, and there's a model for durability that I, we may talk about. Um, but basically, there's two levels of comfort that come out of having those open, honest, confronting conversations about reality. One level of comfort is actually, you know, it's a massive challenge. If that happens, oh, my gosh. It could destroy our business. I don't want to think about it. No. Mm -hmm. When we think about it, we actually go, actually, I've got the finance. I've got the resources. I've got the experts. I've got the, the training, the experience. I've got the backup support. If that goes wrong, we've actually got the resources. Yeah. Now, so now, instead of going forward tentatively, I hope it doesn't happen, we can go forward really confidently and courageously because we know that even if it does happen, we can manage it. So Absolutely. there's a different mindset, a different belief, and a different attitude to what you're doing the second level of comfort which is really important for any leader in an organization is to be able to say i can see that challenge 
we have the finance, we have the resources, actually we don't have the experts in place for this. So as a result of not having experts, we need to just take a step back, go and find those experts, bring those experts in. So we have a level of comfort of being able to say, no, we're not going to do this, but being able to articulate the reasons. Yes. Now, as a leader, if we go, oh, we're not going to do that, why not? Oh, not sure, but it just doesn't feel right. That doesn't instill courage in our people. When we say we're not going to do this and articulate X, Y, Z reasons for it, people go, oh, this person is a thinking person. On to it. They've thought it through. I trust yeah. them that they've got us, they've got our back, they've got us covered. Yeah. There's yeah. a plan, there's a vision for the future, there's a sense of optimism. Yes. I can see where we're going with this. People are on board. So there's that two levels of comfort. One, yeah, we've got this. Even if it goes wrong, let's go forward courageously. Or the level of comfort, no, we're going to step back for these reasons. Mm. And it may be that it's not good for our business, so we're not even going to go there ever. But you're able to articulate the reasons rather than just going, oh, not sure it doesn't feel right. So for any person in business, it is about, uh, there's a, a, a five-stage process that I, I talk about, and it's having a vision for the future, having a look at what level of knowledge we have, and there's three different levels of knowledge that we need. And then as a result of knowing what your vision is and what your level of knowledge and capability is, um, then we start doing the planning. And as a result of doing lots and lots of planning, giving ourselves lots of options, we then make a choice. Uh, But instead of being locked into one choice, we go back to our planning and we go, I've got all these other options available to me. And if something goes wrong, I'm still flexible enough to be able to change. Um, And that comes out of my star group background. As you can imagine, when we make a choice and we make a decision to do something, it is military style. It is absolutely precision based. Everybody is briefed and expected to be in their spot at that particular time. Otherwise, the possibility of the mission failing is is definitely there. Um, And as much as that's absolutely regimented, we also build in flexibility where we go, actually, this is the plan, but, oh, look, now we're on the ground, there's a better option here. Everybody just instantly flexes, goes into there, but we're so well trained that we know exactly what we need to do when we flex, right? So making that choice for action, allow yourself to be flexible too, right? If something changes, you change with it. Um, and it's not about, in fact, flexibility is, is a good plan, a, a good term, but agility is an even better one. Yes. The more plans we've got available, we don't go, oh, what should I do? We just go, I knew this was a possibility. I've already thought about it, some idea of what we're going to deal with, some idea of how we're going to deal with it. With agility, we go, right, we're changing now. And right. it's not about, I, I love all this, and it's, it's very much what I um, talk about with my, um, with my coaching clients, my business coaching clients, you know, sometimes, like, it, it's, it's crazy, like, in the, in the year that we've had, I think over half of my clients have, um, you know, bought into new businesses or expanded or, you know, uh, gone into bigger premises, like big, big things, big um, changes. And, you know, there's a lot of doubt that comes up in that. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is a lot more investment. Is it the right time to be doing this? What could happen? I'm like, well, let's think things through. I'm like, let's, let's act, let's, let's practically think things through, you know, what would happen if half of your clients um, or half of your customers stopped? What, you know, is that actually likely to happen? Yes or no. And, you know, you just start to think through some of these scenarios because a big thing that I've certainly noticed in myself and I talk about a lot is that when we keep things in our heads, 
we that story just cycles and cycles and cycles and start we start to catastrophize it and yep. it's only when we sort of articulate it and get it out that like well actually okay if that did happen yeah it would be a bit of a hit to my bottom line for the month but i've i, I i've got x y and z in place or if i haven't got x y and z in place i can put x y and z in place in preparation for that and and as we spoke about earlier it's not it's not coming from a doom and gloom, woe is me, everything is negative mindset, is it? It's coming from no. this um, very practical, how can I best set myself up for, because I've got to expect shit is going to happen. In one way, shape or form, shit is going to happen and I can't control that. But what can I control within my business? What can I control within how I've got my things structured? What can I control within my mind? Um, I think they're the kind of conversations that I, I love having with my clients because they're the conversations that are really going to have the biggest impact going forwards, aren't they? And, yeah, and absolutely. And, and you're right, it doesn't come from a doom and gloom perspective. Um, I have what I call five drivers for success. And the first driver is a sense of optimism. Yeah. And with a sense of optimism, we can go forward. But optimism doesn't come from, uh, air quotes, positive thinking, mm -hmm. right? Um, and only talking about positive things and only talking to positive people. I think one of the, um, one of the ways that I have grown dramatically in my life is that when I come up with a new idea, I actually send it out to the, uh, the pessimists first, mm -hmm. those negative thinkers, because they will analyse my ideas and they will come up with all the reasons that I'm going to fail, that it won't work, this can't work in this environment, we've done it before. And once I know what all those problems are, I sometimes go, oh, I hadn't actually thought of that one. Let me go back and plan around that one. Or I'm able to go, listen, I think I've got that one in place. I think I can manage that. And yeah. the doom and gloomers will say, no, no, it doesn't matter what you do, you'll never be able to. But if we feel comfortable with it, that's when we now move away from those people and we find those people who are going to give us support, who are going to help us to put in place. 100%. But those doom and gloomers, they are invaluable. And, and there's certainly times where I could be sensed as a doom and gloomer as well because I go, oh, my gosh, I don't think that can happen. But I then ask in curious questions of people about how might you handle, how would you do this, what would you advise if, and it's that exploratory conversation where they might go, oh, I hadn't thought of that one, or Derek, I've got that all in track. And it's that sense of optimism. If you've got all those things in place and you have a sense of optimism for the future, you're more likely to be passionate and driven and, and make things happen. Absolutely. But there's got to be that process behind it. And I'll go back to uh, the open, honest, confronting conversations. Yeah. And it's not about being challenging and uh, horrible to ourselves. Confronting conversations are done with care, compassion, concern, um, and all those things. But it is about being realistic about what situations we're going into. Absolutely, absolutely, man. It's it's been it's been such a fascinating conversation. I would love to know, and this is something that I ask um, I ask of all of my guests. With with everything that you've experienced, with all the all the life experience, all the star group experience, everything that you've gone through, are there are there non-negotiables that you now live by day by day that help you perform at your optimum level? I'm not going to say peak performance, <laughs> <laughs> but are there yeah. things that you you now have in your day that that you know, you have to have there so to keep you at that at that durable level. There's something that I've done kind of intuitively throughout my life, 
um, that is now probably a non-negotiable for me. Uh, as I went through my life, I would do it as much as I could, but then I'd feel guilty about indulging myself. Um, and that non-negotiable for me is that everything I do has got to be fun. There's got to be a fun element for it. Mm. Um, or the outcome that comes from a struggle that I'm going through is something I'm passionate about, right? So it's fun or passion. And, and that could be for me or it could be passionate about <laughs> at the moment I'm working on my daughter's garden. There is no fun in my daughter's garden for me, but I'm passionate about looking after my daughter and helping her and interacting with her and the struggles that we're going through and the pain we're feeling in our shoulders and our hands. Love it, absolutely love it. Um, so for me, the non-negotiable is we've got to be chasing something that's meaningful for us. And I think that's even a better word than passionate and, and fun. It's meaningful. There's got to be some meaning in it for us. Mm, I love that. I think that's fabulous. I, I, as I said earlier, like I have got, whilst you were talking, I've got a million different uh, <laughs> ideas of more conversations we can have if you're open to have them. Um, but in the meantime, if people want to follow you, if people want to connect with you, find out more about what you do, where can they find you? Uh, you can find my, uh, my website and I'm just in the process of redoing that. So I look for a newer version coming up soon. Uh, but definitely on LinkedIn, uh, definitely on uh, Facebook. And I have two. I have a personal profile and I have a business profile um, on Facebook. Please connect with both of those if you if you would like to. Uh, my website is simply directmcmanus.com. Um, there is another website coming out purely for the human durability. Um, so, uh, and I'm certainly in South Australia. I did travel internationally prior to COVID. Um, and so long as everything settles down, I'll probably be in the USA uh, in about three to four months' time. Wow. Uh, and there's a possibility that I'm going to go to Amsterdam for a conference uh, around about October. So um, oh. I love doing that. I'll travel anywhere. And even if we can't travel, virtual is always a possibility. The world's our oyster now, isn't it, across the Zoom yeah. screen like this? <laughs> Absolutely. Before you go, I want to hit you up with a few questions that I ask everybody at the end yep. of each episode, and I'm really curious to hear your responses to this one. What's a book that you would recommend everybody reads? Um, one that I absolutely love was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Yes. Um, I, I read it, and I when, I when I read that, I wanted to implement it. But what I encourage people to do, is it doesn't matter what book you read, Read it with compassion for yourself. Mm. We can't do everything instantly. We are not going to be the absolute perfect guru that these books say that we're going to be. So read it with compassion and go, I would like to do that. It's going to take me a while to get there, but read it. There's some invaluable information in that book. There certainly is. Yeah, that's certainly um, one that's on my list as well. <laughs> what about what about a piece of tech or a, a software, a piece of software or an app that's changed yeah. how you do business? Yeah. I, I, I thought about this and I don't see myself as a really techie person. Mm. Um, I'm fairly basic. Uh, I like to do things, uh, but, you know, we all pick up little things. Um, for these podcast interviews and uh, any Zoom work that I do, uh, there's a, an app called Crisp, K-R-I-S-P, and it actually helps to filter out background noise. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've heard the, the, my little dog trotting up and down the hard floorboards outside this room. Uh, or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But he's just running up from my, my daughter's moving around. He's following her. Um, but his, uh, without Crisp, you would have heard that very distinctly. You would have also heard, 
uh, people working outside and cars going past and all that sort of stuff. Crisp helps, helps. It's not perfect, but it helps to filter that stuff out uh, and makes it a very clean broadcast. Fabulous. I'm certainly going to look into that because as I, I we talked about at the start of this recording, I've got two boys home in school holidays at the moment, both playing Fortnite, both getting very irate with each other. <laughs> one on this side of me, one on that side of me. So this non-directional microphone is doing its job, but to give it a bit of a boost with something like that, yeah. I, I like the sound and of that. And it's free. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> leave us with my god like and I, and I say this in most of these conversations as well but there is so much advice there is so much gold you've shared in this conversation but if you could give your teenage self one piece of advice what would it be compassion mm-hmm. two levels of compassion self-compassion understanding that I'm not perfect I'm not going to be able to satisfy everybody's needs and just to do what's important to me while still respecting everybody else of course So lots of self-compassion and being self-compassionate doesn't mean you don't have drive. It's Mm. just understanding that while I'm in this drive, there's things I need to understand about myself. Um, And the other side of compassion is compassion for other people rather than going, oh, my gosh, why did that person do that? They must hate me. Um, How could they make decisions like that? Having compassion for the other person saying, I'm not actually sure what they're going through. They may be going through stuff that I don't understand I don't understand what they've done, but I need to kind of understand the reasoning behind it because I honestly believe no matter what other people do, they can justify they need to do it for some reason. Um, And so I encourage people not to question what someone's done, but start questioning why they've done it. The motivation behind it. Because sometimes we go, oh, my gosh, you're doing it for that reason. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Defuses us so Self-compassion and compassion for others. If I'd learned that as a teenager, I would have been living a much more relaxed life. Yes, I, I 100% agree. And I think I, I I sometimes think I drive particularly my husband crazy because he'll come home <laughs> and he'll tell me about a situation in the day and this, but they did this and can you believe it? I was like, well, you know, maybe they just had a customer in before that was really abusive to them and, and they were still a bit kind of emotional by that and you copped it. And he's like, <laughs> Yeah, 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 no, it's, yeah. it's, I, I, I totally agree with you. It's something that I've definitely leaned into over the last few years. And, and, and I think, I think <clears throat> to some extent for me, it has almost been an intuitive thing, but um, certainly over the last few years, I've really created conscious awareness around it and just can, putting thought to someone else's perspective. And um, just because something has happened the way that it has, that wasn't necessarily their intention. Um, and, and really trying very hard. <laughs> it can be hard sometimes, especially when something has happened to us personally. But yeah, to, to think yeah. about the perspective and think about the things that might be going on for that person as well. Yeah. And, come- and, and within that, there's that self-compassion of, actually, that does frustrate me. That really makes me angry and allowing ourselves to wallow in that for that short period of time, but then being able to diffuse it when we actually want to move on and you know have that that comfort in life again. Oh, exactly. Oh my gosh, the the amount of times I've told clients to, you know, you don't have to not feel angry. I'm like, go and get a punching bag or your pillow and scream into it and punch it like, or go and have a cry in the shower or whatever it might be. I'm like, wallow, yeah, wallow. That's a great word. Like sit in that emotion for the time you need to sit in it to process it, then move on. You know, don't, don't stay sat there. Um, But again, this can... Yeah, yeah. A really quick personal story on that, and I'll be as quick as I can. 
Uh, I went to visit my brother in uh, Cairns and I took my push bike up there. I love bike riding. Uh, I rode 200 k's a day, four days in a row, that, that level of riding. Uh, I got it. I went up to visit my brother and we got into an argument and dispute and I just spat the dummy and I was so angry about it. And I just got on my bike and I rode up this massive hill. And if anybody knows Cairns, you know, it's really quite mountainous. And I rode up this massive hill and I intended to do it three times. And on the first ride up, I was absolutely fuming at my brother. Absolutely. Oh, why did he do that? I hate him. It's horrible. I went up to the top and then I turned around, came back down. On the second one up, I started exercising the compassion and going, well, maybe I need to understand, maybe I need to do this and maybe I need to do that. Got to the top, totally exhausted, turned around, came down. On the third one up, I'm going, actually, do you know something? He's been so good to me in the past. I need to be able to understand this, need to go back. We, and after that third time up, I came back down, went back, and we had a great time for the rest of it. But I allowed myself to wallow on that first time up. Yeah. Absolutely feel the anger and then process it and work through it. So, yeah. it, you know, we can't deny that we get angry. No. Absolutely not. Yeah, no. Yeah. And as a, you know, I say to my my kids, you know, there's no bad emotions. Like you, you're allowed to feel angry. You're allowed to feel disappointed. You're allowed to feel sad. You're allowed to feel whatever it is that you're feeling. Yeah. Um, we just get to the point where we we process it then and move forward because sitting in that anger indefinitely is not going to serve us well, is it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can go into so much depth in that. I know. <laughs> Thank you so much, Derek. It has been an amazing conversation, as all of our conversations are. I really do appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing this one with with my audience uh, to hear all their key takeaways as well. So thank you so much. And thank you, Claire. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Love it. Thank you. What an amazing way to end Season 2 of the show. This season, over the course of these episodes, I have shared some amazing stories with you. And I've got to admit, they're not exactly the everyday stories that I had in mind when I started the show back in April last year. But every single one has been so inspiring. And there's been something that we can take away and apply to our everyday lives. And this one, This one is no different. My God, how do I pick my three top takeaways from this? Gosh, I think uh, the the biggest thing that stood out for me, um, and it's actually a subtle thing, is around passion and doing things that have meaning and purpose to us rather than doing things that we think we ought to be doing. And I wonder whether this one stood out for me because this one is really timely for me at the moment. And it's a great example of what I was talking about before in as much as a lot of the stories in this season have been big, massive events in people's lives that most of us listening will never have gone through. But whatever it is that we are going through in our life, we can take little snippets of each of these stories and apply them to our circumstances. So that's why I think passion and doing something that we really love is is a theme that stood out for me in, in Derek's conversation. I also loved the point that he made about peak performance not being the thing to aim for because peak performance, being at peak performance all the time is not going to have us operating at our best because being at 
peak actually kind of means that we're in that high stress environment, that kind of high energy environment, and we can't maintain that kind of energy long term. So I love how Derek talks about not aiming for peak, but we need to aim for optimal. And that's about integrating all the different aspects of our life. And we can focus and we can prioritize on one thing at a time, but having awareness to the fact that everything in our lives, our businesses, our careers, our family, our health, our kids, our hobbies, our learning, our development, our um me time, all of that stuff, it all impacts on each other. And it's not about compartmentalizing. I loved that point as well that Derek made. It's not about shutting certain aspects of our life off. It's about integrating everything together. And yes, focusing on one thing at a time to get what we need to done, but having the awareness that everything impacts on everything else. And finally, I think I don't know how I can have a sum up of this conversation without talking about the concept of durability. I freaking love this. I started season two with a resilience theme and Madhu, who I interviewed in season one, messaged me on LinkedIn and she was like, I have someone you need to speak to. um, I must introduce you to Derek. And ever since that first conversation, It has just been like, I I love every chat that I have um, with Derek because I just, I learned something new and I had never thought of resilience not being the thing to aim for. Um, Derek defines resilience as being at the stage of being able to bounce back and, you know, respond, react to things that are happening around us. But that actually what we need to be aiming for is a state beyond that. And that's being proactive in almost anticipation of things and preparing ourselves mentally, physically, and emotionally to be able to deal with them when they arise. And that's durability. I love the concept of comfort zones as well. You know, how can I have just three? This is crazy. Creating a comfort zone to be a reset zone a rest zone. So actually, despite everything that we hear and despite everything that we've learned about the fact of nothing happens in our comfort zones, you know, we've got to move beyond our comfort zone to to have any form of success. That's true, but that's not to say we shouldn't have a comfort zone because there come there will come a point where we need to sit back and go somewhere mentally physically you know spiritually emotionally to reset and recharge and that is the purpose of a comfort zone so not to stick there and not take any risks and not move forward but to have it as a recharge point and it's really funny when when i heard that for the first time it my mind instantly shifted to a show that Terry and I have been watching on Netflix um, called The Dawn Wall. And it was all about um, Tommy Caldwell, a legendary free climber, mountaineer, mountaineer, that's not a word. You know what I mean? Mountaineering guy who climbs mountains for a living. Crazy, crazy. Anyway, he um, he and um, Kevin Jorgensen, his climbing partner at, for this challenge, were, were climbing up the dorm wall of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. And it was like, I can't even remember. It's like a kilometer straight up or it might even be more. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. It's insane. But at the end of each day, like, they couldn't climb the whole thing in, in one hit. And at the end of each day, 
they didn't go back to the ground. They had their base camp partway up the mountain. And there was a particular part of the mountain that Kevin was having really real trouble mastering. And it it took him days and days and days. And instead of giving up and saying, I'm not going to be able to do this and going back down to the bottom, he they went back to their base camp, you know, potentially a few hundred meters down and they rested and he recharged and he, he let his hands heal and he let his mind um, heal and he let his emotions heal. And then he tried again and he did it. And I think that was just the perfect example of having a comfort zone to go back to, to reset. You know, it's not about being negative and staying in our comfort zone. It's about having that place that we can rest and recharge. So I freaking love that. I thought that was absolutely amazing. And all of this stuff, um, it has been, I'm going to say this conversation has been a life-changing one for me because there have been some concepts that, the concepts that I've heard before, but presented in such a different way, they've just sunk in. And I think that's absolutely phenomenal. So there's going to be heaps more of these learnings going into the hub. So um, keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. Now, enrollments for the Real Life Business Hub are currently closed at the moment while I'm having a bit of a rebrand and a bit of a refresh and re-recording some videos and putting a heap of new content in there. So if you are curious, if you have loved these podcasts, if you are in business and you love these podcasts for inspiration and for my thinking and just for being absorbed in hearing inspirational stories of other people, if you are someone who has really enjoyed that and are looking for that sort of support in a business community, then the Real Life Business Hub could be just the very thing that you are looking for. So I currently have a wait list going for new enrollments when the hub does reopen, probably mid to late March, I'm thinking at this stage, but I will keep you posted. If you are interested in being first to know when the hub is going to reopen, what it's all about and what is going to be in there, then click on the link in the show notes to this episode and get yourself on the wait list. And I will let you know all the juicy details as soon as they come to fruition. All right. That is the end of season two. I am taking a few weeks break to rest and reset and recharge myself. But season three will be back in your ears a little bit later in the year. And I'm going to be focusing more on those everyday conversations. So we've heard some extreme tales in season two and season three is going to bring things back to real life. It's going to be talking the real life stuff that is going on in our businesses, in our minds, in our families, in our communities. So I am really, really excited for that. And if you are listening and are keen to be a guest on season three or know someone who you think might make a fantastic guest for season three, please get in touch with me on Insta, claremarquick.reignite. Um, send me a DM or you can email me at claire at reignitepc.com.au. These are going to be, as I say, more conversations than interviews. Let's bounce off of each other. So I'm looking for people who are willing to be open and vulnerable and inspirational and just, yeah, open to sharing their stories. Okie dokie. That is enough from me for now. I have taken up enough of your eardrums. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your continued support of real life business and of me. And I look forward to being back in your ears very soon. Until then, bye-bye.